Father, we come before you again in Jesus' name, God, and we, Father, we recognize that there's a, a kind of response that should happen in us when we encounter you, Father. It shouldn't be hostility. It shouldn't be opposition. It shouldn't be ignoring you, Father. It should be surrender. When faced before a holy God who we know we could never meet his standard, God, we have to surrender. When faced with a Savior who's taking care of our problems for us, we should surrender. God, we pray as we listen to your word, you'd help us do that. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. God, please speak to us. We don't just want to hear from a man. We don't just want to hear from a book. Father, we want to hear from your book. We want to hear from you. pray you'd speak to us. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Um, we're continuing this week in the, the series we've been in for the last couple weeks um, called Eavesdroppers Welcome. And we're talking about prayer and worshiping God and how we relate to God. Um, for those of you, can you raise your hand again because I was in the front, I didn't see. If you've been coming to Wednesday nights or if you've come to one of the Wednesday nights, we've been uh, fasting and praying together at the church. Can you raise your hand again for Okay. I just want to see um, so I can think about who to stare at while I preach. Um, no, but my, my prayer is that as we talk about these things, that it wouldn't only get into our heart and change our lives as a whole, but it would also kind of shape how we think about that time, the importance of prayer, the importance of fast, especially as we continue to look today at the, the prayer of Jesus. <clears throat> I, I just want to start by talking more generally about relationships. Uh, Because as Richard said, when we begin to talk about God, we're talking about a relationship with a person. We're not just talking about a a routine that we come in here and do. We're talking about a real God that we're singing to and we're praying to and that we're hearing from. And so I don't want us to think that there are relationship principles when we talk about relationships with one another, but there are no principles when we talk about our relationship with God. So let let me step back and just talk generally about relationships real quick. One of the things that's important for all relationships is it's important for the relationship to be defined. Uh, romantic relationships especially. That's why I first learned this principle that, you know, if there's some girl I like or that I'm interacting with, I should probably define the relationship. Dudes taught me this early on when they looked at my life and was like, what are you doing, bro? I'm like, nah, we just chilling. We just hanging out often. Like, <laughs> like nah, you... You got to, like, know what you're doing and, like, define what the relationship is. Uh, and so this is why we have a lot of people running around mad when they're in new relationships. Because people have different expectations of each other. They haven't defined what they're doing. They're like, I thought we was hanging out. I thought we was engaged. I thought you were supposed to do this. <laughs> it was like, you ain't putting no money in my account. They're like, I ain't not supposed to be providing for you. Right, and there's just this... There's this thing that happens because the relationship isn't defined and expectations aren't clear. In any kind of relationship, uh, both people got to be on the same page. What kind of relationship is this? What are we supposed to expect from each other? What are the goals of this relationship? What is the purpose of this relationship? When you don't know how somebody feels about you, right, if you don't know what someone's intentions are, what their expectations are, you cannot have a healthy relationship. If you don't understand what the nature of the relationship is, you might have two different things in mind. And this is also true with our relationship with God. We have so many misunderstandings about who God is and how we're supposed to relate to him. What he expects from us as human beings, what he expects from us for those of us who are believers in Jesus. So what I want to do is just look again at how Jesus prays and let that shape the way we think about our relationship with God. All right, so let's, let's go there, and, and we're going to read uh, John 17. So turn with me to John 17. And one of the things I want to say to those of us who, who know Jesus today is that everybody is valuable to God. Those within the family of God are especially valuable to God. God cherishes all of his people. So last week um, in John 17, as we started this, Jesus was praying. Uh, He's on the way to the cross. He knows he's about to get arrested. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's about to be murdered. And so he's he's praying. And last week he prayed for himself. And what we saw in that prayer last week is that Jesus is always concerned with the glory of God and with the salvation of sinners. 
This is, is what is on Jesus' mind. Even in the roughest part of his life as he's about to go into that last week, he's concerned with the glory of God and the salvation of sinners. And one of the reasons I want to look, like, look at this is just like God talking to God about himself last week. That told us about the priorities of God. Here we have Jesus, God talking to God about us, right? And it should tell us about who we are and how he feels about us and what our priorities should be. So I'm going to read John 17. We're going to start reading at verse 6. John 17, starting at verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they've come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. When I read these passages, the the, the first thing that jumps out to me is that God cherishes his people. God cherishes all of his people. As Jesus prays here, he's not... He's not praying for some random group of people he doesn't care about. There's this really kind of intimate, personal, cherishing thing we see here from Jesus. And here's why I think this matters. Because if we don't understand that God cherishes us, we will not have a pleasant relationship with him. What happens is we end up seeing ourselves as like we're only servants or subjects. or We're just here to to give God some stuff to, to make him like us. And if we think that's how we're supposed to relate to God, then we're never going to have a good relationship with him. But if we understood that God set his love on us a long time ago and his love is based on his character, not ours, it would change everything about how we related to him. So I want to look at these verses. And Jesus is praying mainly for for his disciples, the 12 disciples who've been following him. But he says a little bit later in these same verses, verse 20, he's saying not only for them, but to all who will believe through them, right? So he's praying for any and everybody who will believe in Jesus. And so it includes us. And so these are things that I think we're not only learning about the, the 12 disciples, but also us. So I'm going to look at four things we see about every disciple. Helps us understand what our relationship with God is like. So number one, every disciple is given by God. Right? God cherishes his people and every disciple is given by God. I know that sounds strange, so let's, let's talk a little bit. When I was um, getting ready to propose to my wife, Jessica, uh, this was in 2008. Yep, 2008. And so I'm, I'm talking with her family, and her fam- I've already talked to her dad multiple times. He's given me his blessing. He knows I want to marry his daughter. He approves of me. Uh, even though I was a rapper, that's not always what people expect their daughters to bring home. Uh, uh, but he, we were good. And one of the things that was really uh, an encouragement to me as I was about to propose is that I knew Jessica's mom, uh, Terry, had this ring uh, that was her grandmother's ring. It was, a, it, was her, uh, it was her mom's ring. It was her mom's wedding ring, engagement ring. And I knew that Jessica really loved this ring, and I knew it would really be really special to Jessica if I, if I was able to have that ring, maybe make some slight changes to it and give it to her as the engagement ring. So I talked to Terry, and I, and, and I told her, and then she she just very lovingly and graciously was really happy to do it. And that meant a lot to me. It was an honor to me because she entrusted me with something that was really important to her, something that was really valuable to her. It was valuable jewelry, and it was something that uh, had personal significant meaning to her and her family, and that said something to me about the fact that she would entrust me with that. Well, something we'll see referenced a few times in this passage is we'll see that God, having the people uh, that he wants to save, the people that he will save that are valuable to him, God is going to give those people to Jesus, right? He's going to entrust Jesus with those people. When there's something that's really valuable to you, you're careful with how you handle it, right? If you stay in a hotel, you got some jewelry, you're not just going to leave that on a table, right? You don't know if people are always coming to clean the room, right? Somebody may have just got their job to steal stuff people leave in their room. People are crazy, right? So if there's a safe, you're probably going to put it in the safe. 
Some of you are like, I ain't got no jewelry, but I got some J's. You're going to put them in the safe. <laughs> Make sure nobody takes it. Right? You want to put your valuables in a place where they're safe. Well, God is giving his people, his treasured people, his cherished people, he's going to give them to Jesus. Right? So last week when, when we said that uh, the Father gave his son authority to give eternal life, I skipped over a part on purpose, so we could talk about it this week. Jesus said he had eternal life, uh, had authority to give eternal life to all whom the Father had given him, which is a weird phrase. What does it mean for God to give people uh, to Jesus? Here's uh, verse 6 in here. He, Jesus says, I just want to read it again. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, they've kept your word. So Jesus, still talking about glorifying the Father, saying, I've manifested your name. That's what he means. I've showed people what you're like, how powerful you are. Remember when Jesus turned water to wine in John 2, right? Jesus turns water to wine, and it says at the end, and the people saw his glory, right? They saw who he was, what he was like. And Jesus is always talking about this, showing off the glory of him and the glory of the Father. But he's saying he showed his glory to the people whom you gave me out of the world. So let's talk about that. The Gospel of John, all throughout Jesus, is always talking about the people of God in this strange way. Not as if just people will come to Jesus, not if just people will start to follow Jesus, but if there's this specific group of people who will come to him and follow him, those whom the Father has already given him. So not only will people come to Jesus and follow Jesus, but this specific group of people will, those the Father has already given him. Clearest example is, is in John 6. I'm going to put this up on the screen. John 6, 35. I'm not going to put it up on the screen because I'm up here, but it's going to be up there. John 6, 35. Jesus is talking. He says, uh, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So just pause real quick. Jesus is making promises about what happens when you come to him and believe in him. Right? You'll never thirst. So coming to him and believing in him are the same thing. You'll never hunger, never thirst. Verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Talking to the Pharisees, some of his opponents. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Hmm. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's so interesting. It seems like Jesus' mission is focused on this particular group of people that God has given him. So that even when he talks about what we would call like uh, eternal security, like if I'm a Christian, then I'm going to go to heaven. If I really believe in Jesus and I've really repented of my sins, then I'm going to spend eternal life with him. I'm going to be raised to eternal life. Well, Jesus is saying the will of the Father was that he's not going to lose anybody who he's given. He's saying, and those people who he's given will come and I'll raise them up on the last day. So what this tells us is that God is sovereign, meaning God is in control even over the people who come to Jesus. So that this offer of eternal life is made to everybody. That's what he says really clearly. Everyone who looks up on the sun and believes in him should have eternal life. But there's a particular group of people who are going to look on the sun and believe in him. Those are the ones that the Father has given to Jesus to save. And those are the ones that in this this text Jesus says he's prayed for, those you've given me. So you might ask, uh, why is it only those who are given to Jesus who are going to come to him? Right? Jesus says those who are given me will come to me. Here's why. Only those given to Jesus will come to him. Because if God didn't choose us, we would never choose him. Think about, if you've been following Jesus, think about your life for a moment. If there's anybody in here who's had this like very nice and easy, smooth road of following Jesus, you always wanted to follow him. You've always just wanted to know God. That's what you yearn for most. And even when you were a child, you wanted to know God. No issues with lying. No issues with rebelling against God. If God didn't draw us to himself, we would never come. And if you don't believe me, Jesus said, verse 44 of John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, right, anyone who, right, uh, 
who's one of the fathers, who's heard and learned from the father, comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who's from God. Speaking of himself, he's seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So if you're saying, wait, but I thought everyone who believed in Jesus has eternal life. They do. That's what he's saying. But we will not come to Jesus. We will not believe in Jesus unless the father draws us. Right. So those whom the father is given are those that uh, uh, given Jesus. That's who have eternal life. And those this includes everyone who believed in Jesus already and who will believe. And that's who Jesus said, hey, I've, I've shown your glory to them. He showed his glory to everybody. But those are the ones that had eyes to see who saw him and actually saw saw him for who he was. So that's what this means. This means if you're in this room and you're a believer in Jesus, it wasn't a surprise when you believed in Jesus. God was not like, what? Them? I never thought that crazy. Like, the Lord didn't do that. It wasn't a surprise. God knew before you even existed, God had already decided that he would make you his. Right? One of the crazy things about a marriage vow is just saying, hey, I'll commit myself to you. For the rest of our lives, I don't know what you're going to do terrible to me, but I'm still going to commit myself to you, all right? I don't know what kind of ways that you're going to be rude to me at the house, right? I don't know if you're going to lose your job and and wild out on me. I don't know all these things, but I've committed myself to you. I don't know if you're going to get sick. I don't know if you're going to lose your job. I don't know if you're going to struggle with depression. I don't know these things, but I've committed myself to you. Right, and I've committed myself to try to work through that. That's the crazy thing about a marriage vow, and it's very sobering when you take that vow. And one of the reasons is because you don't know, and you're committing uh, to, to, uh, to be with somebody. Here, here's the very interesting thing about God. As God commits himself to us, before we even existed, God knows absolutely for sure everything will do to him. So this is not a thing where someone's like, man, I didn't even know this person. God knew exactly what we'd be like. God knew about every time you would rebel against him. God knew about every time you'd make something else the idol of your life. God knew about every time you'd struggle with unforgiveness. God knew about every time you'd struggle with purity. God knew about every time you'd be proud, and yet he still set his love on you. And yet he still decided, I want them to be mine. And he wasn't, and this wasn't awesome, but I know one day they'll get better, and so I'm thinking about that. God is saying they'll get better because I've set my love on because I'll draw them to myself. So when we begin to think about God giving this group to Jesus, this should not make us uncomfortable. It's hard to understand. God's control over things is, is hard to understand. But this should not make us, uh, this shouldn't make us uh, uncomfortable and, and concerned. Instead, it should make us rejoice. But that God loved us so much he would do that. Ephesians 1.4 says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before the foundation of the world. There is no love like that. You know when somebody, you find out somebody's loved you. It, it, to know that somebody loves you means a lot to you. It means even more when you find out they've loved you for a long time. So that could be like my wife. We've been married for It'll be eight years this year. That's, that's eight years of loving me and all of my meanness, right? And, and that makes me feel good that she loves me. Even something that, uh, an extra added piece, though, is, you know, sometimes when, like, a, a wife knows her husband had his eye on her for a long time, even before they were dating, and it just, like, makes her feel nice. Like, he was watching me when I was doing this, and he was, you know. <laughs> or even, like, if, if your parents are like, man, you... Uh, when you were in the womb, we, we were thinking about you. We were trying to put headphones on or something to listen to you. Or, or now, you know, I'll probably tell my, my son one day, yeah, I had this app that would tell me what size you were every week. This week, your baby's the size of an avocado. And I'm like, man. <laughs> right? And, and I was thinking about you, man. I was praying for you and all your little avocado on this, right? And, <laughs> and, and I assume that he'll uh, feel loved by that. Like, man, before I was even aware of you, you loved me. God's love for us is even way greater than that. And that God, it wasn't God just loved us before we knew about him, but before we was with him. It's not that God just loved us just when we were in the womb, though he did. God loved us before the foundation of the world, before our oldest ancestors even. Before he created anything, God already had us in mind and set his love on us. That is cause to rejoice. 
There is no love like the love of God. Who else could even commit to that kind of everlasting love? No one but God. When someone says they'll love you forever, so like if someone gives you marriage vows, one of the reasons it's hard for people to commit uh, to marriage sometimes is that people are like, how will they really, though? I'm afraid of that commitment because I don't know if they'll really love me. Right? What if, what if they're really messed up inside, forgetting that they're also messed up inside? But they're like, will they really love me? The thing that helps that sometimes is when there's a track record. When there's a track record of somebody being committed and loving and sacrificial. God's track record is absolutely perfect. So when we begin to hear God say he'll never leave us or forsake us, and we remember that God set his love on us before he even created the world, that means something. Before we even had a chance to earn his love or lose his love or mess it up, God had already set his love on us. So when God says he has an everlasting love, we can trust him because that love has been there for a very, very, very long time. This is cause for us to rejoice, right? This is better than than any human love. And sometimes when we think about this, it is uncomfortable. It makes us want to freak out, but it should make us uh, thankful, right? It's okay to wrestle with stuff when we see it in Scripture and we're like, how is God in control of everything, but I'm still making choices? And that's, that's hard to think through sometimes, so it's a good thing to wrestle through. When we come across stuff like that in the Bible, here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to be like, I don't understand how these two truths go together, so I'm going to throw out the one that I don't like. This is what we normally do. Like, hmm, so I get to make choices and God is in control. I'm going to just throw the control one out and just think about my choices. And when I come across those passages, I'm going to just change them a little bit in my mind so that it makes more sense to me. Here's what we should do instead. We should take those things and go before the Lord and say, Lord, I know your word is true. I know you've said this. And I know you said this, I trust you and I believe you. Help me to understand how they fit together. This is what happens when you trust God. If you don't trust God, anytime you don't get something right away, you're very suspicious of God. Like, hold on, Lord. I don't like that. (laughs) Right? But when you trust God, you say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I'm going to hold your hand and walk through it. Help me understand it. I know you're leading me in the right direction. I know your word is good. I know you're good. That's what happens when we trust God. This should lead us to gratitude. Jesus, talking about these disciples, said that God gave them to him out of the world. And the way that um, the, word, the word world is used in the Gospel of John, it doesn't just mean the earth. It doesn't just mean all the people on the earth. There's some, it's used in different ways. Most of the time it's used with this kind of negative idea that world isn't just the earth um, isn't just the globe, isn't just all the people, but there's this kind of negative connotation of this system that's um, in opposition to God, that doesn't like God, that's rebellious of God, the, the sinful ways of the world, right? And that God's will is moving this way, and the world system is moving this way. And Jesus is saying, out of that world, you gave me people, right? There were people who were part of that system, who you saved, and you, uh, or, or who you've given to me to be saved. And, and here's why that's good for us to know. One, some of us are self-righteous, and we forget that we were dead in our trespasses and sin following the ways of the world. It's good to remember that God plucked us out of that by his grace. Secondly, if there's someone in your life you think God could never save them, remember, everyone who's ever been saved has been saved out of the world. That person's a sinner, as is every saved person. That person has issues, as is every follower of Jesus. Right? It's good for us to remember. And he said those he's given him have kept his word. Uh, We'll we'll get into what he means by that kept his word in this next part. That's the longest point because it kind of sets this foundation. But uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus, you've been given by God to Jesus, to the Son. God gave people to Jesus. Jesus showed them his glory. Those people trusted in Jesus, kept his word. Let's talk about what that means. Right? All, All God's disciples are cherished by him. So... That uh, all God's disciples, um, excuse me, are given by God. Number two, are responsive to God. All of God's people are responsible to God. All disciples are responsive to God. One of the ways you can tell how you feel about somebody is how you respond to them. Um, 
I mean, you notice that there's some people who we dislike so much that no matter what they say, we'll use it as a reason to not like them further. We had a bad experience with it. They just rub us the wrong way. Seconds be like, can I get you some water? I don't need your water. <laughs> you think I can't get my own water? This is what you always do, right? We just get in this. Maybe someone who did us wrong a long time ago and we've been bitter, we haven't dealt with it. And what happens is you build up this version of them in their mind where they just plot to ruin your life and then come in your life to do it every week. And you're like, I knew you was plotting. And then on the other hand, there are some people that we like so much that there is nothing that they could do to make us not like them, right? Who we like them so much, no matter what kind of terrible thing they say, we use it as a reason to like them more. He's so real. I appreciate that. I like that. I mean, he was real about it, you know. Cussed me out, but he was real. Or this is like uh, people who are infatuated with their boyfriend or girlfriend, and people are like, I don't know that one, but there is nothing that you can tell them. Like, bro, I just saw her rob a bank, Right? Stealing from the rich to give to the poor like Christ did, you know. (laughs) There's nothing you can tell us. Part of the way you can tell how you feel about somebody, your relationship with somebody, is how you respond to them, right, based on the track record, based on what you think about them. One of the best gauges of what your relationship is like with your creator is how you respond when you hear from him. When God speaks, how you respond says a lot about your relationship with him. So Jesus is showing his glory to the disciples. He's he's telling them what what God has told him, what the Father's told him to say. Listen to this. John 17, uh, verse 7. He shows his glory. What was the result? Verse 7. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. Jesus speaking to the Father. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. That's interesting to think about how they respond. And I think right here he's elaborating on what he means when he says they kept his word. The way they responded to the word. So speaking of these disciples that God has given them, Jesus is saying they responded the right way to what I've shown them and told them. And here's what we know. They haven't responded perfectly. We've seen them do dumb stuff in the Gospels, we know they, they still, there's, there's still stuff they're not going to do perfectly. Jesus just told them right before he prayed, y'all are going to abandon me. Y'all are going to scatter. But Jesus says they've responded rightly. They don't really fully understand what all of this means, but what they do know is they, they trust that Jesus is from God. They know this guy is who he said he was. They know he's the Messiah that came to save. They, they just don't fully understand how that's supposed to work. And so I think what we see is a good blueprint uh, for how we're supposed to respond if we're really disciples, whether or not we're really following Jesus. So if our response to his words tells us what our relationship with Jesus is like, then this is how a disciple is supposed to respond to the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus. What we see right here, he, de- he describes about his disciples. And here's why. Because this relationship with God is a relationship of mutual love, right? So we're just singing uh, about our love for Jesus. Um, God loves us and we love him. It's this uh, relationship of mutual love. The way that God loves us primarily is by showing himself to us and sending his son to die for our sins and give us new life. The way that we love God primarily is the way that we respond to what he's done and what he said, Right? We're responding to the ways that God has spoken to us. And here's how the disciples respond. This is what set them apart from the others. They know something and they've received something and they've believed something. I think those are important words in what he's saying here. They, they know something, they've received something, and they've believed something. And those three things are basically the same. Jesus is saying, I came, I told them what you told me to say. They know I am who I said I was. They've received those words and they've believed in me that I'm sent by you. So when Jesus says, um, they've received everything you've given me, he's talking about his words, the stuff that he said, the stuff the Father gave him to say, and we know that because he says it right after it, right? They know everything you've given me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them. Real quick, Jesus, this should tell us something about our dependence on God. Jesus, even though he's God, God the Son, lived his life on earth with an incredible amount of dependence on God the Father. 
Do you hear how he's talking? I've given them what you gave me to give them. Jesus says, I only do what pleases the Father. I only do the will of God. Not, not, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus had this incredible amount of dependence on the Father, what the Father wanted him to do, what the Father wanted him to say. And if Jesus, being the God-man, dependent on God the Father, how is it that we think we can go throughout our weeks without depending on God? How is it that we think we can come up with the right things to say and do if the God-man himself depended on the Father? My prayer is that we, we take notes from Jesus here. The difference between the disciples then and the rest of the world was that the disciples knew that Jesus was the Son of God sent from God, right? While everybody else, I mean, if you remember, you read the Gospels, while Jesus does stuff and says stuff, people hate him at every turn. I mean, he just starts teaching, and the moment he starts teaching with authority, it literally says this in the Gospels, and the religious leaders started to plot about how to kill him. Immediately. Even when Jesus was doing good stuff, healing people, Why are you healing people on the Sabbath, Jesus? Forgiving sins. Who told you you could forgive sins? Everything he did, people were opposed to him. Feeding the 5,000, raising people from the dead, healing the sick, forgiving sins, teaching authoritatively. And the disciples didn't respond that way. Instead of running away, the disciples ran to him. Even when Jesus said something that sounded crazy to them, if you're going to be my follower, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's talking about communion and the, and the close union with him. But everybody else is like, all right, Jesus, I'm, I don't like that. And his disciples, Jesus said, are y'all going to leave too? They said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. Right? The disciples had already had this strong trust in him. So they didn't understand what in the world he was talking about when he said that. But they're like, we know you have the words of life. We're with you. That's how the disciples responded. They, they knew he was from God. They believed his words. They received his teaching or received him as one from God. They knew these miracles were from God. This response to God's word and how God worked to trust in Jesus, that's what we as a church all have in common. There are a lot of things that are different about us. We're from different places different ethnicities, different ages. We even came to know Jesus in different ways, right? John was held up at gunpoint in Nigeria, and that led him to really trust in Jesus and really follow Jesus. That ain't my story. No guns involved in my testimony. And we all have different ways we came to Jesus. We have different struggles, even as we're Christians. Some of us are more mature than others. We've grown at different rates. We've had different struggles, different temptations, different areas of growth, different hard things in our life that make it hard to follow Jesus, make it hard to focus on Jesus. You know what we have in common? We encountered Jesus in his word, and we responded with faith. We saw what Jesus did and had to say, and we said, he is the son of God. I am going to follow him. He does have the words of life. That's what we have in common. That's what we gather around. So it's not strange to me that we have some older folks and some younger folks and some black people and some white people and some rich people and some poor people and some all over the place. Because what we have in common is none of those worldly things. What we have in common is we know Jesus is who he said he was. We know he really paid for sins and got up from the grave. We know he's really the Lord of lords and the king of kings and he's worth building our entire life around. That's what we gather around. That's the story of every single disciple of Jesus. You you saw him and you trusted him. And so if it freaks you out to hear that people who come to Jesus are people that the Father draws, you're like, am I one of these chosen people? Here's how you know. How did you respond to God's word? Do you believe in Jesus? The Lord has not called us to walk around like, are you, did Jesus, did God give you to Jesus? I'm just checking. Before I tell you about Jesus, let me just know. That's not what God has told us to do. The reason God even tells us that, he just gives us a look behind the curtain. Not so we'll become obsessed with that in a way where we're questioning our every choice, like, am I doing this or is God doing it? That's not why he gave us that. He gave us that look behind the curtain so that we could see how incredible he is and so that we could praise him and glorify him and trust him and know how much he loves us. On our side, what are we supposed to do? Hear God's word and respond to it right. God has not called us to be constantly like trying to peek behind the curtain for stuff that he didn't tell us. There's some stuff he didn't tell us on purpose. He's called us to respond to his word properly. He's called us to love him. He's called us to love people. And that's what we want to give our attention to. But a good thing to see here is when God does something, he never like uh, goes around the ordinary stuff in life. 
He saves people when they hear his word and they trust in him. And he's in control of everything, right? Even like you grew up in a Christian home and your parents told you about Jesus, God was sovereign over that. He put you in that home for a reason. Or you had that really hard year where you were at rock bottom and you knew that you were not a good enough Lord to lead your own life. God put you in that situation, so you trust in Jesus. God has that control in a, in a way that he works through all the stuff that, that works in our world, right? And so that should lead us to rejoice and to, to praise him. What we want to focus on is how are we receiving God's word. When God draws us, he doesn't force us. He draws us. He doesn't redeem us by force, but by love. He woos us. He shows us how incredible Jesus is. He shows us how incredible he is in a way that opens our eyes and we trust in him. He gives us eyes to see Jesus. He orchestrates events in our lives, and it's very loving of him to do that. And it's not surprising to God that that these disciples responded the right way. Again, God did that on purpose. Father gave Jesus the words to give them. It's almost like a mom who gives her kid money. Go to the store and get a gallon of milk. She says, here's the money. Walk directly to the store. I got spies all over the street. You walk right to the store. You grab a gallon of milk. Don't come back with skim milk. That ain't really milk. Get the right milk. You get that gallon. You go to the register. You hand the man the money. Take it and you you come home. And so when, when the kid goes and he picks it up and he hands the cashier the money, he's not surprised that he gets the milk and gets to leave. I did what I was supposed to do. You gave me the money. I gave the money. I got what I was supposed to have. This is like what's happening here with Jesus. The father's not surprised that these disciples have believed that he gave Jesus his words for that very purpose. Jesus came for that very purpose. So what Jesus is doing here is almost like um, the kid on the way home with the milk calling his mom like, Mom, I gave him the money. I got the milk. I'm headed home to you now. Jesus is saying, I came. I lived. I showed people what you were like. I told them what you told me to say. These disciples have trusted in you. I'm coming back to you. Father, please be with them. This is no surprise. It's working in God's sovereign plan. Real quick, you know, if, if you're at a point, and, and again, you're wondering, am I a disciple of Jesus? Do I really follow Jesus? One way you can know is what we see here. How do you respond to God's work? Are you suspicious of Jesus, or do you trust him? Are you still trying to pay for your own sins, or do you trust him to have paid for them for you? Right? Do you think God is holy, or do you think God is like, nah, just do whatever you want, and I'll just let you, or do you believe what Jesus said about it? One of the ways we can know whether or not we are really followers of Christ is how we respond to his word. When you know God, and you love God, and you trust God, you respond to his word with faith and obedience. When we don't know God and we don't trust God and we don't love God, we respond with hostility and ignoring it and pretending it's not there. John 1.12 said that's what most people did. Jesus came to his own. They didn't receive him. They rejected him. But to as many who did receive him, he gave eternal life. Two responses to Jesus. We can receive him with faith or we can reject him. And this is what receiving him looks like. Another question I have, just based on what Christ has done, how often do you give people the words of God? Jesus comes to earth, tells them what God told him to say. How often are you telling people what God has told you to say? One of the reasons we don't is because we're afraid. You know the amazing thing we see from this text? God draws people himself. He does that through his gospel being preached. So we get to tell people about Jesus, and we get to watch God do all the hard work the heavy lifting, the changing of hearts, the the breaking bondage to sin. God has called us to be obedient, tell people the word, manifest his name, tell people what Christ is like. That should encourage us that God does the heavy lifting. Right, so all disciples are, are given by God. That's a good thing, all disciples being given by God. All disciples are responsive to God. Number three, all disciples are claimed by God. Claimed by God. How do you think God feels about you? If you are a follower of Christ in here today, how do you think God feels about you? Most of us think uh, of God kind of like barely letting us in the family, and he's like reluctantly tolerating us, like I'm tired of this dude, but I'll let him stay. As opposed to God cherishing us and loving us so much that he sent his son to rescue us and making sacrifices for us and claiming us. 
Sometimes we act like God is like that high school boyfriend who's kind of embarrassed he's with that girl, so he only likes it like when they're off away from school. Like God is like, mm, I'm all right with them. I just don't want to really be associated with them. That's not what we see in this text. God claims us. He's given us his name. Listen to the prayer of Jesus. Verse 9, Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. In these verses, we see Jesus pray specifically for his disciples. I am praying for them. How powerful is that, that the Son of God is is praying for them, and the Lord knows they needed prayer. He knows what's about to happen. Some of the very things he's praying for is the stuff that we know they're going to struggle with, and they would need the Lord's help with. I wonder how it felt for them to know Jesus was praying for them. Well, I want you to tell me how this hits you. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for you. Sometimes we think that just because there's a lot of us and we see God as kind of abstract, and maybe God sees us as kind of abstract too. God knows your name. The Lord Jesus knows your name. Before you were even born, the Lord Jesus knew your name. The Lord Jesus has written your name in the Lamb's book of life. He knows your name. Not only that, Jesus prays for you, intercedes for you, pleads with the Father on your behalf, and that blows my mind. I get encouraged when just a member from the church is like, I pray for you. I'm like, word. Thank you. I appreciate that. The Son of God prays for you. Uh, Kurt Franklin has a song called Intercession that I love on his newest record, and it's talking about this beautiful fact that Jesus intercedes for us. And it's the um, best song I'm aware of on on Jesus praying for us. I want to read these lyrics real quick. I think they're powerful. He says, Jesus, please mention my name. When you talk to your father today, life down here feels so strained. My brokenness is in the way. I'm not that good. Don't pray like I should. Yet I'm amazed you get me through. He sees me, but he hears you. This other part is saying, you know, he intercedes for me, protects me from things unseen. He says that Jesus is right between God and me. He intercedes for me. Man, that, that just feels so powerful and personal and intimate. Jesus, please mention my name when you talk to your father today. That Jesus would know us, know our names, love us, and plead with the Father on our behalf. That intimate truth that Jesus prays for us personally. It almost feels too bold. That's Jesus. Hey, can you pray for me specifically? Can you mention me? I wonder if you know that Jesus intercedes for you even right now. That that's the reason that we can pray is because Jesus intercedes for us. That he's between God and us. He's our bridge to God. The reason we, uh, we can praise God in here and God hears us is because we trust us intercedes for us. The reason the Spirit was sending God in us, Jesus intercedes for us. The reason we trusted in Jesus, Jesus intercedes for us. The reason we'll make it to glory because Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus intercedes for you even right now. Isn't that incredible to know that Jesus loves you that much to go before God on your behalf? That's, that's really good news. Jesus cherishes us in a special way. And just like any family, being in the family has special privileges. So Jesus says, I'm not praying for the world, that world system, this rebellious against God. He wants Jesus, I mean, uh, he wants the Father to draw people from out of that world and give them to him. He said, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for them. No one gets mad at me for just praying for my kids at night. When I ask God to save Q and Sailor, and I was like, why you ain't praying for all the kids? There's a special relationship here, right? These are my kids. And Jesus uh, has a special relationship with us. And he intercedes for us. These are family privileges that, by the way, are available to anybody who would look on Christ and trust him. Everyone can have these family privileges like now. Believe on Jesus. You're in. Only requirement that you're messed up and you know it, and that's why you trust Jesus. That's it. We can have these family privileges. 
real quick, some people act like um, the Father is the mean God from the Old Testament and Jesus is the nice God who makes him like us. One of the ways we know that's not true is because we see the Father initiating here, right? He gives people to the Son. He gives the Son the words to say. He draws people to the Son. Sometimes we act like the Father just really don't like us. Like, Jesus, can you, I mean, I know he's like, that's not the picture the Scripture gives us. When the Scripture says God is love, that means the Father is love and the Son is love and the Holy Spirit is love. When the Scripture says God saved us, that means the Father saved us and the Son saved us and the Spirit saved us. When Scripture says God created the world, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Everything that God does, the Father does and the Son does and the Holy Spirit does, right? When Scripture talks about God keeping us and raising us up on the last day, the Father keeps us and the Son keeps us and the Spirit keeps us. Uh, I want to, but, you know, I got... I'm looking at my timer. Um, but, but, you know, here's what we want to draw from that, is that the love of God within the Trinity, this is not Jesus twisting the Father's arm to beg him to love us. The Father loves us just as much. The Father is the initiator, right? So the Father is the one who's decreeing, we're saving them, go save them. Jesus says, I got it, comes to earth, lives the perfect life, dies on the cross, gets up from the grave, and he's like, I'm coming back to you, Spirit, go get him. The Spirit opens our eyes, gives us new life, and leads us. Look, Jesus is not twisting the Father's arm. Jesus is not begging the Spirit to love us. God loves us. That's good news. He cherishes us. Verse 10, Jesus says, all mine are yours, yours are mine, I'm glorified in them. He's saying, in them, I'm shown to be who I am. When we was in high school and people are dating, you know, it's like dumb ways to let people know you're dating. Like, let me wear your letterman jacket. Even though you went on varsity, you ain't got no letters, but you had the jacket and she was wearing it. <laughs> Stuff like that, like, I, I want people to know you're mine. Well, God has done that for us. And the thing he's given us is much greater than a jacket or some jewelry or some foolishness like that. He's given us his name. He's allowed us to bear his name, to be his people, to be called Christians. means little Christ, to be disciples, followers, learners of Jesus, to be called his family, his children. The Lord has allowed us to bear his name. Like when you adopt a kid to your family, they have your last name. God has adopted us into his family. We get to bear his name. God claims us, right? God loves you. God claims you. God came to get you. Jesus is interceding for you. We never have any reason to say, how would I know God loves me? I can't tell. You're not looking hard enough. It's everywhere we look. Last thing, all disciples, briefly, watched over by God. Right? Given to God, responsive to God, claimed by God, lastly, watched over by God. Jesus at the end here makes his first request on our behalf in this prayer. He's been talking about it so long. This is the first thing, request he actually makes. Verse 11. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus, like a good brother, Scripture says he's unashamed to call us brother. Jesus, like a good big brother, is saying, I'm leaving. Father, keep them. Jesus knows we're prone to wander. Jesus knows we're always on the edge of walking away. He's saying, Father, keep them. Like when uh, one parent leaves the house and they're saying, hey, I'm about to leave. Can you watch the kids? Because we know if we leave kids alone for like four minutes, someone's going to lose a limb, okay? Or me and my wife, has got a puppy. We, we, that dude does not get out of our sight, all right? We don't want him pooping on nothing or chewing on nothing. He's on a leash in the house. In Jesus' name. He ain't getting nowhere. <laughs> but it's because I know these, they don't have, like, morals. They're just instinct. They want to poop, so they poop. So I got to teach them where not to. I have to watch them really closely. And Jesus is saying, Father, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be physically with them. Keep them. Make them one. What a loving prayer for Jesus to pray. Father, keep them. The Father keeps us through things. I mean, one of them is... Father sent the Holy Father sent Jesus. Jesus did his work, went back to the Father, and Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. That's one of the ways God keeps us is through the Holy Spirit who seals us and helps us to continue to love God and have faith. Another way he keeps us is through his people. Come on, y'all. We know we are prone to wander and walk away at any moment, all the time. 
Some of us are on the edge right now. And one of the ways that God keeps us is this family where we kind of walk together. Like, I know you're struggling. Come on, let's, let's walk together. You're limping. I'm limping. Let's just limp together. One of the ways that God answers his prayer of Jesus to keep him. Other thing, real quick, Jesus has already said, I'm going to raise him up on the last day. Jesus already knows that the Father's going to do this, yet he prays it. Know for us when we pray, pray for things that God has already promised to do. Faith is not just believing God is going to do something random that you like. Faith is believing that God will do what he said he would do, right? So we know what God likes, what God goes after, what God will do, and we're asking God to keep his word as he always does. And sometimes we're asking for specific ways. He has another way in mind. But let's take a note from Jesus and pray and ask God to do things we know will bring him glory. God asks the Father to watch over us. Every believer is watched over. Last thing he asks, the second thing he asks is that he would make us one. We'd be unified. And the only way we can be unified is if we're unified around that thing that we have in common, that we know Jesus is who he said he was. That Jesus did what he said he would do, that he paid for sins, he got up from the grave, and he loves his people, and he's coming back. Jesus is coming back. And we are this community of people who know that and build our lives on that and tell people about that and have seen the truth of that over and over again. When Jesus says, hey, keep them as one even as we are one, he means keep them centered around those things. And he continues to pray. He gives more detail into that, what he means by that keep us one. It's very, very loving of Jesus to ask God for that on our behalf. For relationships to work, we've got to understand the nature of the relationship. Who is God to you? Who are you to him? One thing I, I want you to know, church, is that God cherishes all of his people. God loves you. God even delights over you. One passage even talks about God delighting over his people and singing a song and his joy and delight at his people. And one of the ways he's proved is that he loves us so much he gave his son. What more could he do to show us? Y'all, we are loved by God. And that's really good news. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful, God, for your love for us and your grace, Lord, your mercy. God, when we look at all the stuff going on in our lives, how broken we are, the fact that you love us, you set your love on us, and everlasting love, God, uh, is hard to believe. Father, but we know you're an incredible God who can do the impossible as you have many times, God. So help us to love you more. Father, help us to, to remember that everything, God, that that we should be centering our lives on everything. The best things we have came to us, not through our own work, but through the work of Jesus. Thank you for the blood of your son. Help us to rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.